0: For those of you that don't know me, my name is Mark, and I am along with uh, Jake Ricketts. We leave the uh, senior men. Where are you guys? Yeah. Both of you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to um, talk to you tonight about worship and being a true worshiper. Um, there is a famous theologian out there. His name is Tim Hawkins. Anybody ever heard of Tim Hawkins? <laughs> famous theologian who um, he uh, talks about raising your hands in church and some of you may not have experienced this hand raising thing and so he, he talks about it in one of his sermons and uh, he gives some um, direction on how this really works. He says usually we start with the rookie. Okay the rookies you're new in church and you haven't quite figured this out so the rookies they might see everybody lifting their hands but they're not quite there yet so they'll so wing flapping. You got some wing flappers out there? You stand around, you got your hands in your pocket, you're like, oh, that looks kind of cool, I'm kind of getting into the music, and you kind of flap it a little bit, and then, you know, things are progressing along, and so you might get your hands out of your pockets and go, I'm going to carry the TV. I'm just going to carry the TV. <laughs> maybe it's a widescreen, maybe it's a widescreen, but I'm going to carry the TV, right? Hadn't quite got there yet, and then we move up a little bit more, you're kind of feeling it, things are going well. My fish is this big. Some people lie. My fish was this big, but my fish is this big. Okay. You know who you are. You might even work up to hold my baby. Hold my baby. Or if you're really brave, you might even go Mufasa. Right. And then maybe you get really into worship and you're starting to let loose and God's really moving. You get a little bit looser. You might get up to here and do the dueling light bulbs. Dueling light bulbs, goalposts. Got any goalpost people out there? Maybe a little bit of heartburn going on. Goalpost, heartburn. Goalpost, heartburn. Yeah. And that you even progress up to pointer, hatchet, or schoolroom. Okay. I'm a pointer. I know I'm a pointer. We got hatchets and schoolrooms out there. And you might even get all the way up to the village people. Y-M-C-A, yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah. or Rocky, yeah, or touchdown, right? Yeah, so that, that, these are ways that we can raise our hands in church, but we're really going to talk about worship tonight and being a true worshiper, and we're going to use examples from two women that are in the Bible, and we're going to start with John chapter 4, and there's 42 verses here that we really need to read, but I'm not going to read all of them because we would be here all night. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about um, this woman that had a meeting with Jesus. So we're going to start in um, the first verse of John chapter 4. So now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea, departed again for Galilee. Now here's a key point here that's very important to the story. If you're just reading through it, you're like, okay, he's going from one place to another. Big deal, no big deal. No, but this is the important part. The very next verse, verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. It's key, and let me show you why in just a minute. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well... It was about the sixth hour. So we're looking at about noon here. Let's take a look at this map. Now, Jesus was going from Judea, way down here, and he was going all the way up to Galilee. Now, typically what happened is the Jews would take this route. They would go all the way around Samaria. They didn't go through Samaria. They didn't like the Samaritans. But Jesus said... He had to pass through Samaria. So typically what would happen is they would take the extra day's journey just to avoid this whole area. But Jesus had to go. The older translations say he needed to go. He, must, he said he must go through Samaria. And we're going to see why right now. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So that's why they typically go all the way around Samaria to get to Galilee. But Jesus knew he needed to get to Galilee, but he knew he wanted to pass through Samaria so he could have this encounter with this woman. Now, why didn't they go through Samaria? What was wrong with Samaria? Well, see, the Jews had nothing to do with Samaria because they considered them kind of inbreeds. They bred with other people. They weren't full-blooded Jews, so they weren't the holy, chosen people. The Samaritans are also chosen to worship idols and other gods so the jews not wanting to be tainted by what they were doing they went all the way around samaria so they couldn't even touch samaria they even called them dogs it's a great way to get canceled today right you call a call a person a dog you can't even hang out with you you're just a dog and these are the religious people but they worshiped other gods they worshiped idols Now, what are idols? Idols are anything that you worship other than God. And you may think, oh, let me put a little statue up here. We're going to worship the holy water bottle today. Okay. Or, I don't know, spaghetti monsters. Thank you. Somebody remembers. That was my first strike. But there are things in our lives that we sometimes tend to put before God. I want you to think about it. Maybe it's your sports team, the one that you're on or the one that you root for. Maybe it's your band, the one that you're in or the one that you listen to. Maybe it's your guitar, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friends, your phone, your pet. And you're thinking, there is no way I worship those things. Well, think about it. How much time and energy are you putting into some things compared to what you put into God? So we're going to keep on going here. Let's look at verse 10. Jesus answered her If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I want you to notice in verse 10 what Jesus says, those first three words right there. If you knew the gift of God. I became a Christian at age 14, and I lived in a single-parent household. And actually, at the time that I had gotten saved, I wasn't even living with my family. I had happened to be living with someone else, and somebody next to them led me to Jesus. Well, I ended up having to move back in with my mom at 15 years old, And my mom started dating um, this guy who soon became my stepfather. And he used to make fun of me for going to church. Not like a little and not about me, but to my face. He would say mean things about me, to my face, about my faith, about my church, and about my God. Now, as a 15 year old boy, my first inclination was to fight back. But God often had to press on my heart and remind me that he didn't know my Jesus. And sometimes I just kept thinking, if he only knew, if my stepdad only knew the grace of God, only knew the life-changing power and the freedom that we have in Christ, he would not be making fun of me. And I say that because I want you to, when you're going into your schools and you're worried or you're concerned about what people think about you, they may not have tasted the sweetness of your Jesus. So they don't know. They don't know what you've experienced. They don't know the life that you have because of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you knew, telling the Samaritan woman, if you just knew who you were talking to right now, you'd be asking me for the living water. And she's like, "Uh, you don't have anything to get water from, and that well is deep. She goes on to say, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that, I may not, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. See, here's her situation. It's in a weird situation. Has anybody seen this story on The Chosen? Yes. This story, when I watched it on The Chosen, I was just like blown away because it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me until I saw it there. This woman was n- not in a really good spiritual condition, you might want to say. And she would have to go in the middle of the afternoon, the sixth hour, what they talked about in that first couple of verses, the sixth hour is really about noon. So she's going in the heat of the day. All the women would typically go draw water early in the morning when it was cooler. But she had to come out here by herself to keep from getting ridiculed by other women. And here she is, a Samaritan woman, talking to Jesus, a Jew. And she's like, hey, you you can't even get water. You don't have anything to put down in there. And he's saying, but I've got something even better because this water you're about to drink, it'll satisfy for a few, few minutes, but eventually you're going to get thirsty again. This other water that I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. So over here, we're talking about the physical. And over here, we're talking about the spiritual. And Jesus is about to offer her some spiritual living water. Now, water is necessary for life. Got to have it. Without water, there is no life. Water is a gift from God. It refreshes, it satisfies. But you know, so does the spiritual water. It is required for life. It is a gift from God, and it refreshes and satisfies. The one big difference is this water, this water, and all these other water bottles. Yes. They are temporary. But Jesus satisfies for life. There's only one kind of water that restores our soul. And here's where it gets a little interesting. Verse 18 Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. You have had five husbands. And the one you now have ain't even your husband. So what you've said is true. So woman had five husbands. Now, in that day, you didn't do that. You did not get married and get a divorce. And then get married and get another divorce. And then do it over again five times. So she was seen by the community as being very immoral. Now, I heard somebody talk about this story one time. And, and my, the question was, why did she get married and divorced so many times? Well, maybe she couldn't have kids. And so her husbands were like, hey, if you can't produce offspring for me, you can't give me a son or an heir, you got to go. And so she had to go find somebody else, and somebody else, and somebody else. So she was considered a very immoral woman. Now I can't read this story or talk about it without thinking about my very own mom. See, in May 2021, um, I got a phone call from my brother. Um, for those of you that don't know, my brother, he works in California. He's in Uh, film he makes movies and television shows and um, he was filming um, he was first assistant director on a film a show called the chai up in chicago and uh, he called me he said hey uh, we have a problem so what's going on he said mom's missing so what do you mean mom's missing 65 year old women don't just go missing he said No, the neighbors saw her front door open, went to go check on her, and she wasn't there. TV was on, her purse was there, the keys were there, the car was there, but no mom. I was like, what? That's weird. Let me call the neighbors. So I called the neighbors, and they told me the same story. We don't know where she's at, Mark. We just saw the door open. Couldn't figure out what was going on. So immediately I started praying. I was like, okay. God, please direct me to where my mom is. Because she lived on about an acre and a quarter of land, and behind the land was a ton of trees. And I thought, oh, God, if she went out there and got lost, there's no telling what's going on with her. But God said, call the hospital. So I called the hospital, found out she was there um, due to a drug overdose. And she had called the, the 911 in the middle of the night. They came, picked her up, took her to the hospital, and just left everything there and on. But... My brother said, I'm on the next flight home. I'll see you at the hospital. I said, all right, I'll see you there. I ran home, packed a bag, and drove to Dallas. Doctor told us when we got there that unfortunately she would not leave the hospital. And in less than 24 hours, my mother passed away. But I had about an hour of alone time with my mom. And during that time, God just said, you have to share the gospel with her one more time. And so they had her... Intubated, She couldn't talk. She could hear me because I would ask her questions and she would nod or she would squeeze squeeze my hand. And so while I was sharing the gospel message with her, I was reminded of this story because my mom had been married and divorced six times. And I was like, Mom, there's a story in the gospels where this woman had been married five times and was living with a sixth. And Jesus knew everything about her, and Jesus loved her, and Jesus made a way for her. And I prayed with my mom, and talked about God's love and God's forgiveness, and she squeezed my hand, and a tear ran down her face, and that was the last thing I got from my mom. A few hours later, she passed away. But I tell you that because I want you to understand that that story gave me hope. It gave me hope where I didn't ever have hope before. I was always petrified of living here in Houston and my mom living up by Dallas, being by herself, that she would die alone in her home. But God gave me the opportunity to share with her the gospel one more time. I had shared with her many times before and she didn't accept. But I know on that day that God gave me hope in this story to share with her and give her hope before she passed away. See, in verse 19, the woman says to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you worship, you, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. See, she was saying, basically, you Jews are saying that we can't worship anywhere except in Jerusalem. So they had a location, a place where the Jews said, you got to worship here by the temple. This is where you got to worship. And Jesus is saying, well, hold up, hold up. What's about to happen, you have no idea, but what's about to happen is you don't have to be any particular place to worship. He's saying it's not going to be on this mountain. It's not going to be in Jerusalem. You're going to be able to worship anywhere. And why is that important for you? Because you don't have to worship. You can worship anywhere, not just right here. Who would have ever thought that Clear Falls would be a worship center? Right? Right? So Jesus was letting her know that soon you were going to be able to worship anywhere, not in just a particular location. Your worship extends beyond the hour that you have right here. Verse 23, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And what does that mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Well, to worship in spirit, it means that it requires the Spirit's direction. It's more than just a physical act. It's more than just standing with your hands raised. It's more than just singing with your voice. It's more than clapping your hands or jumping or dancing. It is a spiritual act. We do express our worship with our bodies, but just because I'm raising my hands doesn't necessarily mean I'm worshiping. It has to come from our hearts, it has to come from our spirits. One preacher I read about said, it is quite possible for us believers to gather on Sunday or in our daily devotions and just go through the motions of worship with our mind and our heart elsewhere, perhaps even half asleep. To be a true worshiper that the Father seeks, we must enter into worship by the Holy Spirit with our heart and intent to be focused on Him. He is seeking authentic, genuine worship not just lip service. It has to be God-focused, not me-focused. I know as a baby Christian, I experienced the presence of God and the feelings that came over me were just phenomenal. The power that came into my life, the freedom that I felt, the forgiveness, the joy that I experienced, man, I wanted that all the time. And so a lot of times I, I created in my head this formula If I will just go into worship and I will lift my hands and I'll jump at the right time and I shake at the right shake and I do the right thing, then God's going to pour that back into me. So I was going at it with this formula of a physical act and not having my spirit into it. God wants us to have our spirits into it. And yes, we engage our bodies when we come into worship. There are many times I come into this place after having a rough day and I'm like, i'm not feeling it i'm really tired i got to get up early in the morning i got pajillion bajillion things to do so i have to force myself sometimes i don't have the energy to sing to lift my hands or to jump but knowing that when i engage my body sometimes the spirit will follow suit Now, worshiping in truth is we worship the one true God. There are many gods out there, but there's only one true God. I was talking with a student a long time ago who was trying to convince me that there was a, such a thing as reincarnation. And I was like, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. Now tell me why you believe that. And he went, I don't know, I just, I just think it's true. I said, okay. Is there any evidence of people coming back as something else? Well, well, no. Okay. Are there any texts, scriptures, anything that you've read that makes you think that reincarnation is real? Well, well no, not really. Then why are you living your life as if that's going to happen? I don't understand. He couldn't obviously give me a good answer. But we have experienced the life-giving power of a true God. I remember sometimes when my stepfather would make fun of me and he'd be like, well, how do you know that what you're doing is true? Because I've experienced the life-changing power of God in my own life. I have experienced it. You can argue theology with me all day long, but I know what God has done for me and what God has done in me. It's not just a feeling. God has absolutely, positively changed my life. So when we worship and we sing here at Oli, we also have to start. We declare truths. Just listen. Just read those words. Listen to what you're singing. Pay attention to what you're singing because we're speaking truth about who God is. We see what he. We sing about what He's done in us, what He's done for us, what He's done through us, and we declare His greatness and His glory when we're singing. Those are truths. Scripture goes on in verse 25 to say, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, the disciples, when his, just then his disciples came back because they had gone into town to get some food. They marveled that he was talking with a woman because you just didn't do that. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, the very reason why she went, and went into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that i had ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now this is really significant because prior to this, everything that Jesus did, he said, don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody it was me. Don't tell anybody yet. People did it anyway. But prior to this, he was telling people, I'm not ready for, my, the fa- the, for the information about my being the Messiah to come out yet. But this woman, he said, I'm the Messiah. And she went and told everybody. She was a changed woman. See, he knows everything about you. He knows where you've been, what you've done. He knows what's in your heart, where you're hurt, what you need your struggles, and your joys. But a lot of Christians have settled for cheap imitations of true worship. Some people believe that true worship is simply an event or a building. But worship, yes, we, talk, we call what we do here worship, but worship needs to be a lifestyle. True worship rejects the strongholds that prevent followers of Christ from responding To God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, we were created to worship God. It's one of the very reasons why God made us. And here's a few examples in Scripture of how our bodies express our worship. Psalm 134, verse 2: lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Psalm 96, verse 1: Sing to the Lord with a new song: Sing to the Lord all the earth. Psalm 149, 2, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. A timbrel is a tambourine, by the way. I I grew up in a tambourine-shaking church, let me tell you. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Psalm 47, verse 1, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 95, verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. These are expressions of worship that we do in our bodies. I tell you, Immersed weekend, Saturday, rocked my world, guys. Rocked my world. I stepped into that confession room and immediately, immediately started crying. Just tears started flowing, and nothing had happened yet. I just walked in there and was like, I was a mess. And then we went from confession room to the worship room. And I stood way back in the back because I was having to use my sleeve <laughs> to wipe my nose because it was kind of gross. But it was amazing what God did in those few moments. You see, years ago, there was a billionaire named Howard Hughes, and he had um, he owned a lot of casinos in Las Vegas. And when he died, um, the people, his like publicity director, asked for the casinos to stop everything and give him a minute of silence. For a very uncomfortable 60 seconds, the casinos in Las Vegas went eerily silent. Then a pit boss looked at his watch, leaned forward, and whispered, Okay, roll the dice. He's had his minute. And I can't help but wonder if sometimes we treat God like the gamblers in Vegas— treated Howard Hughes. We interrupt our busy schedules once, maybe twice a week, and we rush into church to give God his hour and forget to take back to where we live what he's doing right here. You see, worship isn't just the slow songs. Worship is not the place where we just jump and express adoration. Worship is not just volunteering, but it is a lifestyle. It's not an event. It is our daily submission to God. If our lifestyle does not express the beauty and love and grace through extravagant love of God and submission to Him, then maybe we need to renegotiate some priorities in our lives. See, God is seeking worshipers who will bring Him glory, not just for an hour on Sunday or two hours on a Wednesday, He wants people who are going to follow through with their daily lives and their daily activities. See, God is seeking true worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we worship God because of who He is, what He's done, because He commands us to, to give Him honor, to give Him glory, because we love Him. We love what He's done in our lives and we just want to be near Him. There's another story in Luke... Chapter seven, and I didn't put it up on the screen except for this picture about Luke chapter seven, and I'm just going to quickly read this um, because it's. I think this is a, an amazing picture of what's going on in some of our lives. See, one of the Pharisees had asked Jesus to come eat with him, and he sat to, went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table at Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. It's very, very expensive perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner and jesus answering said to him simon i have something to say to you and he said he answered say it teacher a certain money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. To kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to notice that when she comes in and she is anointing his feet with oil and she is wiping, wetting his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair, two big things are happening right here. First, it wasn't right for a woman to be in a presence like this and letting down her hair and touching him. And second, she made a huge sacrifice of this a very expensive perfume to put it on Jesus' feet. Now a lot of times we come into worship and we feel like we have really messed up this week. We've really messed up. And the enemy of our souls wants to stop you from worshiping Jesus. So he's going to throw little darts at you and remind you of the bad things that you have thought, that you have said, or that you have seen this week. Because he wants you to stop worshiping. And the Pharisees were reminding this lady probably right in front of her face she's a sinner and she is touching you. And she didn't stop what she was doing. She pressed in and worshipped Jesus by anointing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. That doesn't sound like something that we would do, right? It's kind of, Kind of gross if you ask me. But this was her act, her expression of worship. She didn't ask for forgiveness. She just recognized he was the Messiah. She recognized her own sinfulness. And she gave up herself and all that she had to worship Jesus. And he forgave her. So sometimes when we come into worship, it's like... All I can think about is the bad things I've done this week. Yelled at my kid. Kicked the dog. <laughs> Got mad at my... Kicking the dog's worse than yelling at my kid? Yeah! Don't worry, I would not kick my dog. She's about this big. The point is, a lot of times we come in with these things weighing on us. And it makes it difficult for us to worship. So sometimes you just need to make that confession as you go into worship. Okay, God, I'm ready to worship you. I know I've messed up this week. I know you want to forgive me. I know you want to deliver me. I know you want to heal me. So please do that now, and I'm going to worship you despite what I've done this week. Despite what she had been doing, she worshiped Jesus. See, when this happens, we can run to the Father. He's waiting with open arms, and He's ready to receive you because He loves you so much, and He wants to restore your heart and your relationship with Him so that you can have that communication with God to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He will forgive you. Would you to stand with me, please? Band's going to come lead us in one more worship song. And as they lead us in worship, I want you to prepare your heart to worship in spirit and in truth. If there's something weighing on you that needs to be forgiven, let's tackle that. Get it out of the way. Give it over to the Father and let Him cleanse, heal, save, deliver, whatever He needs to do. And let's worship the Father in spirit and truth. Let's worship Him by giving Him our all Over the next few minutes, before we break into small groups, let's worship God in spirit and in truth. Let's show Him His worth. And let's make it about Him and not about us. Because He is worthy to be worshipped. You guys can come.